We'll spend a little bit of time in the book of Colossians this morning. Father, we thank you once again for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace that you've lavished upon us in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that we'll see marvelous truths of your grace and of your love, that there would be this incredible challenge for us to continue to live for you, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just pray that as we think about the wonderful, marvelous truths of who we are in Jesus, that this would encourage us to live for you and to walk for you in our daily life. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. A couple years ago, I uh, tore a calf muscle in my leg. It was incredibly painful, and it made it really difficult to walk, almost impossible. And so what had to happen was I had to let it heal, and after I let it heal, I had to go to physical therapy. And physical therapy was just uh, basically the mixture of a mom and a cheerleader and uh, a really nice lady, but could be really mean at times and telling me that I wasn't doing my exercises right. Uh, but I had to do a couple things, and one of the things that she would say while I was walking was she says, remember how you walked before your injury? And I said, well, I didn't think I forgot how to walk, and here to come find out, I actually did forget how to walk a little bit. Uh, my one foot just shot off to the side, and so I had to work to bringing it back, and there was a special rubber band exercise that I had to use to strengthen my calf muscles and uh, one of the things that she said was, you have to go walk on sand. Sand is one of the best things to help you with stability. And so this whole time, I'm in physical therapy. It's all about remember how you used to walk and you, because you hurt yourself and your legs got to relearn and the muscles got to grow. As I think about that, I, I think about the church and the church all around the world and the church here in the United States. Uh, Christ isn't finished building the church, and obviously we still have to deal with the sin nature and sin. And so many times our walk is like a hobble after a surgery, right? We have this torn calf muscle, and we're hobbling, and we have to learn how to walk, and we have to be, be told and given this command to walk. I think of this church in, in Colossae. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them because they have some pretty serious issues. And one of the issues is they're Twitter-pated with this crazy heresy. Uh, there's this heresy that comes in that devalues Jesus, is saying something different about Jesus than what they had heard. And there had been some who have accepted some of this crazy teaching about Jesus. They no longer see Jesus as the second member of the Trinity. They no longer see Jesus as the only Savior and only mediator between God and man. And now there's all these other steps that you have to get and all these demigods that you have to get to. And, and they, they were eating this stuff up. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to correct them and, and to correct how they live, to correct how they walk. And that's really what we're going to look at this morning is this First piece of advice in the book of Colossians that are, that's given to, these, to this church in Colossae on how they're supposed to live based off of the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And essentially, his advice to them is, you need to walk this way. 
You need to walk this way. And what way should they walk? Well, there's three things we're going to see in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 this morning. Three things. The first thing that we're going to see about the walk of the believer is that the walk of the believer should be a walk of consistency. It's a walk of consistency. Verse 6, we'll see that. It's a walk of consistency. In 7a, the first part of 7a, we're going to see that this walk should also be a walk of stability. A walk of stability. Lastly, we're going to see that this should be a walk with thankfulness. That's going to be in the second part of verse 7. So a walk of consistency, a walk of stability, and a walk with thankfulness. Let's first look at this walk with consistency. And notice what Paul says here in verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And as I've stated before, kind of the occasion for the writing, there's this heresy that's going on. And so here in verse 6, when it starts off with therefore, you kind of have to go back into the argument to understand. So in chapter 1, Paul says hello to the church, kind of gives his thesis statement as it was for the letter. We see that in the first 14 verses. He, he says that he desires that they walk in a way that's worthy uh, of the calling which which they've been called. And we often think that just because I have a, a, a view of Jesus that may not be necessarily correct, what's the harm? What's the harm in sloppy doctrine? What's the harm in in some of this stuff. It only seems to affect me. And the, the Apostle Paul says, actually, no, it affects your walk. It affects the unity of the church. This, this is a serious thing. You have a bad view of Jesus. It's really difficult for you to walk for Jesus. You have a bad view of Jesus. You can't follow Jesus. Which Jesus are you following? It's not the right one. It, it leads to a whole bunch of dead works, meaning you're, you're, you're putting in so much energy to believe in a promise that Jesus never gave. This is a serious issue. And so he says, look, this is my desire. And then, and then from uh, verse 15, he then goes into this incredible description of Jesus. And, and notice just in verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the icon. That's the Greek word there for image, icon, meaning everything that you would think of that makes up divine or divinity or God, Jesus is that. He is the visible representation of an invisible God. We know that God the Father is spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is spirit, meaning they have no corporeal body. So the second member of the Godhead adds on humanity, and he's something that we can see. So he's the image of the invisible God. And then it says he's the firstborn of creation. Don't think that this means that there was a time in which Jesus was not. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying is that Jesus is the heir of all creation. He's speaking of the right that a firstborn receives uh, this speaks of his honor and his authority, not, not that he was the first thing created. That's not what he means, because he can't mean that, because notice the next thing. It says in verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, and authority. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. And then he says, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, meaning that in Christ he is fully God. So you think of this description of, of Christ and trying to get their eyes back on Christ and, and the true teaching, the truth about the second member of the Trinity. 
Then Paul then goes on and he starts talking about his own personal ministry and how he, how he labors, how, how he wants people to be complete in Christ. And he, he struggles to do this. So then in, in 2.6, we kind of see this therefore as kind of a summation, uh, uh, the logical conclusion of those first parts that we see in the book of Colossians, of thinking about the character of Jesus, thinking about the person of Jesus, thinking about the deity of Jesus. Thinking about Paul's ministry to labor hard that people may be complete in Christ. And it's based off of this. He then says, therefore, since since this is who Jesus is, this is what my ministry is in laboring, it only would make sense then the thing that I'm about ready to say to you. And notice what he says. He says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Before we get to the imperative of so walk in him, I think it's important for us to at least discuss that first part where it says, as you received Christ the Lord. By the way, this is the only time in the New Testament that it talks about receiving Christ. The only time. And so because of that, we would most likely say that this would speak of that time when somebody places their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what it means here. That's what it means. It means placing one's faith on Jesus Realizing that you're a sinner, that God is a holy God, and that we're incapable of repairing our relationship with him. So God, in his great love, sent his son to come and die on the cross for our sins, to be buried and rose again on the third day. By simply placing our trust in the personal work of Jesus and abandoning all other methods of salvation, right? we're saved. That's what it means. And that moment that we received him. And so as I think about this process of what the Bible talks about, exercising faith, there's a couple things that come to mind. The first thing is that passage in Romans 10. Remember Romans 10, 17, where it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we realize that at the very beginning of of the gospel for us, it has to be something that's scriptural. It has to come from God's word. We're not just talking about Jesus, how we think about Jesus, or our thoughts about Jesus, or the cultural ideas of Jesus. We're talking about the biblical Jesus and the biblical message. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This then would also then include if faith comes by hearing of the word, then it means that faith isn't necessarily something that originates in us. This is something that God is doing and working inside of us, right? Faith is a product of God's work. This morning, Greg talked about God's intervention in our life. And causing this new birth. That, that first act of new birth is, is, is placing our faith in Christ. And so he, here we see this product of that new birth is faith. So I hear God's word. God, the spirit works through the preaching of God's word. Works on my heart. Changes my heart. And then I place then my faith in Jesus Christ. That would then be the third thing. That it's faith. It's trust. It's trusting in Jesus and trusting in Jesus alone. That's what Paul's reminding them. As you received him. So think back to that time when you first placed your faith. First placed your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think back to that time. What what you did back then. Now it's important to notice that when he says, as you received, notice Christ Jesus the Lord. I, I I preached this in India. And... uh was in a big church and uh, 600 people. Pretty big church, pretty loud church. As I was talking to them, I said, guys, look, we don't, 
We're not buying into a philosophy. This isn't just some cultural whim. This isn't an American message. This isn't an Indian message. We're not buying into uh, some sort of man-made teaching. When we received the gospel message, in essence, we received a person. Right? This isn't just a doctrine. It's not just that we say, yeah, I'll sign a doctrinal statement. I'll sign my name in the back of a Gideon Bible. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the acceptance, the placing of our faith in a person. And that's what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with a heresy where they're diminishing the person of Christ. And Paul's saying, remember back at the beginning, what did you do? You placed your faith in In who? The person of Christ. That's what you received. Remember what you believed at that moment of what you believed about Jesus Christ. That is what we're to continue in. They're not. Because some of them are jumping ship and going into this heresy. So he's saying, you got to remember, you received Christ. And he uses three important words here, three important names to describe the person and work of Jesus Christ. And though, when we think back to our salvation, though if we gave a test of what is the meaning of Christ, I'm sure very few of us would be able to give a definition, a technical definition of what that means. But I guarantee you, you had some concept of what it means. You might not fully have understood the hypostatic union, that Jesus is fully God and fully man and one person. Those natures are not mixed, right? So you have two natures in one person. You might not have been able to explain that. You still might not be able to explain that. But you have some concept that he was human, and you had some concept that he was divine because you believed that he was the son of God, right? So, so when we think back to this, we're not asking to say, okay, you're not really saved until you can give a really good definition of these things, both in Latin and in Greek, by the way, you don't really not saved until you can define Christos in Latin and Greek and Hebrew. No, we're saying that there's, there's, there's a concept, there's a kernel that you understood. That, that there's a truth there that you understood at the beginning. And that truth grows. The church of Colossae is leaving that truth of, of, of who Jesus is. So notice the three names, three titles. He calls them first Christ. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about the definition of Christos, what what it means for for Jesus to be the Messiah. He definitely is the Messiah in the ancient world and the Jewish mind to call Jesus the Messiah is something significant, right? This is the promised one that's going to come. This is the promised anointed one that's been prophesied for a long time in the Old Testament. And, and, And that's what they would think of. And they would think of this coming kingdom with the Messiah, right? In the New Testament from the apostles of the apostles' teaching, they, they started to say, look, the, the understanding of the Messiah before Jesus came was faulty. Now that the Messiah has come, Jesus, we realize that there's two comings. The first coming is to deal with sin, and the second coming will come to deal with his reigning and bringing in his kingdom. And so the message in the New Testament is Jesus is Savior. He's come to die on the cross. He's the only anointed way He's the anointed one, the only way, the only acceptable person that can save you from your sins. You can't save yourself. It has to be this one. It has to be this anointed Savior. And it's him exclusively. This is the one. This is God's chosen one. 
He's the one that saves the world from sin and reconciles man to God. That, that, that's the concept here of the Messiah from the New Testament, from the apostles' teaching here in the first coming. Now think back to the moment when you first heard the gospel and you believed. There was something there that you heard Jesus is the Savior. I, I, I'm a sinner. I, 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 there's nothing I can do to be right with God. So I need to believe exclusively on the Savior, Jesus. Right? There was a, there was a kernel. There was a, a little seed. Right? You believe that. Now, you've grown in your knowledge of that, to be, sure, to be sure, but there was that nugget, right? Now, notice the next title that's given, Jesus. This is an important word. This was his earthly name. He was Jesus. This means he was human. Why is it important for us as, as believers to defend the humanity of Jesus? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, taking our place. He had to be fully human. He had to be fully human in order to die. So to speak of the humanity of Jesus speaks of the death, burial, and physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it refers to. And so it's important to remember, he died on the cross for me. He's the mediator, the man, Jesus Christ. Now he's much more than just a man, because notice it says, then the Lord. I know when I was a little kid, I, I didn't fully understand the concept of Jesus was divine. I don't know if I still understand that full concept that Jesus is divine. But I know a li- the little Caleb, when he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, could not have told you in great detail the Trinity and all the different parts of the Trinity and, and Jesus' divinity. I couldn't have done that. But I did believe that there was something unique about Jesus that I should follow him. I did believe he was the son of God. That's about as far as it went. And then I grew. But there's something that happens at the moment of salvation where you go, yeah, he's more than a man. He's my savior and he's the son of God. Right? I need to follow him. I'm trusting in him, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's calling back. He says, remember, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. He's the one you received. Remember, remember that you placed your faith in Christ and these truths. So then then comes the imperative and notice the consistency. So walk in him. So as you received him, you now need to continue to walk in him. Notice this is a walking in Christ, not a walking in the doctrine of Christ, though the doctrine of Christ is really important. That's how we know about Christ. Notice it's not the Pauline road, right? So walk according to my doctrine, to my teaching, though that's how we learn about a lot of this stuff is through the teaching of of Paul. No, Paul says, look, when we placed our faith, it was in Christ. And as a believer, as we continue to walk, it is also in the person of Christ. But the way that I received him is the way that I need to continue to walk in him. There's a consistency here, right? From the beginning to the end, there needs to be, it needs to be the same. Just as I started, so throughout the entire thing. So the question is, what does this walk look like? Well, if hearing comes by the word of Christ, well, then our walk must be scriptural, right? It has to include the Bible. Without the Bible, we're lost. We need it. It needs to be scriptural. If faith is not really something that comes out of me, but it's a product of God's intervention in my life, 
Well, then guess how my walk should be? Empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? This needs to be a spirit-filled walk. If, If I place my faith trusting in the promises of Jesus Christ, trusting God, then each step then must be one of faith. Right? It must be walks of step faith and steps of faith. But it's steps of faith in Christ, not in anything else. It's exclusively trusting Christ. And so this walk has this consistency of faithfulness, of, of, being, of trusting, of being scripture-filled and spirit-filled. This is a daily commitment. This is a moment-by-moment commitment. And this is the command. So walk in him. We walk in no one else. We walk in Christ. We're identified with him. We have this relationship with him. As we started, so we continue, right? It's by faith, by scripture, and by the work of God in our life. Continue there. Why does he say this to the Colossians? He says this to the Colossians because they're not doing that. They're leaving the doctrine of Christ. Why is it important for us this morning to think about this? Do you know how easy it is? To stop walking in Christ? I mean, do you realize how easy it is to stop walking? Do you realize how easy it is to walk in something else? To walk uh, having other goals? Do you realize how easy it is to, to get scared? To not have boldness? Do you know, you know how easy it is to no longer walk by faith or walk by the scriptures or, or trust in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? That's really easy. I mean, we could just walk off the path. It, it, it's like when dealing with three little kids in a crowded uh, store. They, they go wandering off. And if you're not vigilant, they'll wander off. And next thing you know, you'll wander off. The whole family's lost in Walmart. Nobody knows where each other is. The reason that we need to be reminding ourselves of this walking by faith, walking by the scriptures, walking by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, being grounded in Christ is because... Everything else is tempting us to do something different. And we really, we do this often, right? We, we no longer walk in him. I mean, it was easy for the church in Colossae. It's easy for us in Astoria as well. Now, we then go to verse 7, and Paul then gives, really interesting what Paul does here. He uses four participles in verse 7. These are parts of speech, and... Uh, it's kind of interesting the, the participles that he uses, and you would say, well, why would he give these participles? And especially the way that these participles are in the Greeks, these are what are known as passive participles. And basically, what that means is that these are things that happen to us. That's what a part. Of, that's what a passive participle is. So this is something that's happening to us. This is not something that we do. And so there's three participles here that are passive, which means these are happening to us. They've happened to us. The first one is we're being rooted. The next one is that we're built up. And then the third one is that we're established. And so why, why would Paul say, give us a command and then say, by the way, this is something that happened to you. So he says, do this because something happened to you. So the question is, why would he do that? Well, the reason is, is to remind us that this is why we can walk in Christ. Why can we walk in Christ? Why should we walk in Christ? Look at what Christ has done. This is what he's done. He did this at the beginning, and the product of what he's done, we can see the effects of it right now. 
That, that's why he's doing this. So, so this walking isn't necessarily you just got to grit your teeth and use all of your energy and do all that you can to do this, though we are to work hard at our sanctification. We realize that the real power behind our walk and the real reason that we can walk is because of what has already happened to us by the work and power of God. So notice these three terms, and each of these terms that are used, these participles, are ones of stability, right? These are strength of concreteness. So notice the first participle here in verse 7. It says, rooted, and you could easily see that phrase that says, in him. So we're rooted in him. This is an interesting image. It has the idea that God takes us, and we're like a seed and we're planted in Christ. We're planted in Christ, like a seed. That's the word. The word is, is planted. We're planted in him. Just think about the implications of that for a moment. Just think about what does it mean to put a seed in the ground, to plant a seed. Think about some of that metaphor for a moment, some of the implications that means for us spiritually. That means that gives us stability, right, because there's roots that grow. It gives us nutrients, right? There's, there's, this, there's this growth. Think of the rich soil of Christ. So I have this great stability in him. All the, all the things that I need for growth are in him, right? When a storm comes, my, my strength and root system is, is in Christ, the secure ground of Christ. I remember when I was a kid... Uh, that there was a tree in our backyard, and it was hit by lightning. Split the tree in half. We, we went out to look at it, and we thought, well, there's a dead tree. We're going to have to cut this thing down. And we were all kind of like, this is going to be a terrible job because it split right down the middle. <laughs> As time went on, we started to realize, no, it just created two trees. Why? Because the roots were strong. And the roots were strong, deep in the ground, and the ground gave the tree a lot of nutrients in order for it to stay strong. That event, to a lot of other trees, would have killed the tree, right? Being hit by lightning, that that would be the end for many trees. But a tree that's rooted and strong, with strong roots, with good ground, is able to handle something that is absolutely catastrophic. That's us. We're rooted in Christ. We didn't root ourselves in Christ. We were rooted in Christ. We were put into Christ. That's the strong ground. So when you walk, you're not walking by your own power. You're walking on this firm ground of Christ with this vital relationship that you have with him, with this identification that you have in him, this relationship that empowers you and causes you to grow. This has already happened. So when you walk as you received him, realize there's already stuff that's happened. Why would you leave this God who's already working on your heart? This is the, this is the power that we have. That because I'm rooted in the person and work of Christ, I'm not going to move. Now notice the next one. It says, and built up in him. Now this is a construction term. Kind of interesting that Paul changes uh, metaphors in the middle, but he does. That's Paul. He's the apostle. He's allowed to change metaphors in the middle. That's okay. 
think of this. This is a metaphor of construction. Literally has the idea of putting one brick on top of another brick, or putting on top of another brick. So notice, not only are we securely planted in Christ forever, but then because we're in Christ, God and Christ is building us up, giving us strength and stability. Notice this progressive nature. It's one brick on top of another brick on top of another brick. This shows constant concern and care over our souls. He's building us and building us and building us and building us up, strengthening us. This is what he's doing. He's doing this to us. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. He's doing that. Of course you are to walk as much as it depends on you. Be obedient. But realize that the ability to be obedient is because of this incredible work and power that God is already doing in your life. This is why you're able to be obedient. Now notice the next word. This this word is interesting as well. He says, and established in the faith just as you were taught. So here's that third passive participle, being established. The word for established is kind of a difficult word to translate. So established is probably a really good word here that the ESV uses. But it it gives the idea, the idea of established is kind of like adding a support beam, right? Like adding cement, right? Adding mortar in between the bricks, right? It's one thing to just put pile bricks on top of each other. It's another thing to add that mortar and that cement. It's one thing to have a house, but then, but then have strong support system built onto that house. Notice, this is happening to us. We're established. Paul's not saying establish yourself. He's saying you already are established. And established in what? Established in the faith. This isn't your faith. This is the doctrines, the teachings of the apostles. So notice that God is using the teaching of the apostles and the word to strengthen, to bolster us, right? So he's saying, walk, walk. Why? Because you're in Christ. You're rooted in Christ. Walk. Why? Because he has a vested interest and he is causing you to grow moment by moment. Walk. Why? Because you're strengthened by the word and by the faith and by the doctrine of Christ. That's what this does. It's like adding cement. It's adding support beams. And so we're being established in the faith. Now, for us, this is important. This is especially important for the church of Colossae when he says, just as you were taught. Nothing's new. It doesn't change. The foundation doesn't change. It's always been the same. From the day of Pentecost until the rapture, it's going to be the same. It's what it is. It's always going to be the same. There's not going to be another foundation. There's not going to be another set of doctrines. It's not like all of a sudden God's going to call up Greg and I and go, hey, I want to let you know we got a third testament coming, so be ready. It's going to shake up the church. No. No. It's already been given. It's it. Once for all. That's it. We don't add to it. The things that have been said in the New Testament, that's what we need. That's what grows us. It's sad how many of us believers are so, so, so eager to find something that's found outside of God's word and thinking, oh, if I could just get that one thing, 
It's not found in God's word. It's not found in Christ. It's not found in his promises. But if I get that one little piece, I found this one book. This one book is great. It might be helpful, but, but, but you put too much into it. And, and you build your life on that. And you say, this is what strengthened me. So many Christians do that. And, and it's so sad that they neglect the incredible brilliance and power that's afforded to them in the word, right? They're so satisfied with small things. It's like when my kids were little and we took them to the ocean and we're in the parking lot and they see a puddle and they just love the puddle. And, and we were like, yeah, but the ocean's right there. But dad, there's a puddle. Yeah, no, I, I understand the puddle, but something more significant is right, like we could see it. Love the puddle. They loved it. They were enamored with the puddle. And then when they realized that the ocean was there, then they were like, wow, the ocean. Like they, so many Christians are like little kids looking at a puddle when you're in the beach, right? They're so enamored with these little things that don't satisfy when you have access to the ocean. It's the faith that strengthens us. It also is mind-boggling to me at how many churches are so quick to leave the doctrines of God's word, to talk about other things. I, it, is, it is sickening and saddening to me. A couple weeks ago, I saw somebody was doing a sermon series on Batman because, you know, I don't know. I guess Christ isn't appealing enough to them. So we're going to talk about Batman and how Batman has some spiritual value to you as a believer. Who cares about Batman? I mean, really, who cares? When you have Christ, what is Batman, right? And the fact that they were so willing, willingly to jettison God's word to bring in Batman, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's sad. And then you look at those churches and some of the problems that happened from those churches. Why, why, where did the problem start? It's because they weren't being strengthened by the word and by Christ. This is what God uses to strengthen us. Now there's one more participle. Notice the next part of verse 7. So we've already seen that we walk consistently. The way we start is the way we continue to walk. We see that we walk in stability, the stability of Christ, right? I'm planted, I'm built, I'm established. Notice this next one about walking with thankfulness. This is a different participle. The other ones were in a passive. This one is in an active participle, meaning that this is something that we're doing. But it's not a command. This is describing an event that happens, right? So we're walking by faith. We realize who we are in Christ, and then it would, it would almost seem as like Paul saying, and here is the result of that. Here's what, here's what the natural production of that is, and notice it's abounding in thankfulness, abounding in thankfulness. Notice that the walk is one of gratitude. This word for, for abounding, it speaks of like a, a river that's overflowing. It speaks of a, of a pot filled with boiling water, and the water starts to boil over, right? It's, it's that it can't be contained in a container. There's a container where it's supposed to fit, but it's, it's bubbling over. It's abounding. There's more than what can be handled. And so th- this is then the description of, of the believer who knows Christ, who, who thinks of Christ, who realizes who we are in Christ, 
And as we're thinking about that, and as we're walking in obedience, yielding to the power of the Spirit, what happens? There's this abounding thing, this, this, this overwhelming thing. What's the overwhelming thing? Gratitude. Thankfulness. It's impossible to truly know Christ and to know what these mean and to think about what Christ has done for me and not say, thank you. It's impossible to do this and then beat out our own chest and go, look how great I am. Look, look how strong I am. You can't do that. You have to walk away going, I am saved by his grace. I walk by his grace. I grow by his grace. Therefore, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Now, Paul, Paul will talk about this thankfulness again. Go with me to chapter 3. Notice what he says in, in verse 16. As he's, as he's summing up his argument and, and encouraging the church in Colossae, notice what he says in verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It means to let it live, let it live inside you, and, and basically let it dictate the rules and customs of the house. That, that's what dwell richly means. It, it, it's, it's to let it, let it be master, right? So, so we let Christ's word rich dwelly in a, uh, dwell richly in us, and teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So notice that if God's word is richly dwelling in our heart, notice that there's this desire to teach and admonish one another, encourage one another, to build one another up. And we're using God's wisdom to do this, not our own. And notice the product of a scripture-filled mind. It's singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. By the way, if you're reading this and you go, well, that sounds a lot like Ephesians chapter 5 about the product of the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah. Get this one. Yeah, They both have the same result because that's what the Holy Spirit uses as God's word in our life, right? So, so, so you can't be spirit-filled without being scripturally filled, and you can't be scripturally filled without being spirit-filled. And, and they both have the same result, right? It's the same thing. And so, yeah, so, so there's this singing of songs, right? And, and, and notice, notice, notice the spirit with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him, right? So the product of thinking of God's word and his grace is this abounding, overwhelming, bubbling excitement and gratitude because you say, look at what God's done. So I remember when I was in the, doing, the, doing the leg therapy stuff, and I had to stretch out my leg for hours. My wife had to set an alarm. Caleb, it's time for your your Band-Aid and your rubber band exercises. And I would grumble and... But I did it. And there was the time to walk on the sand, right? And to kind of like stand on one foot and move my leg around. You know, I hated doing that because I didn't want to do it, you know, because I had to stand up. And my wife set also an alarm for that as well. My wife sets a lot of alarms for me, by the way. If you didn't notice, the point of this, my wife is the reason I do anything. Um, <laughs> so I had to do this, this thing. And, you know, when, when I had a bad attitude, uh, I, it was really difficult to do all those things, and I didn't want to do them. It's amazing how when you, when you have a good attitude and, 
and you're just thankful that something worse didn't happen and you're thankful to your wife setting all those alarm clocks for your exercises. Uh, it's amazing how when you have a good attitude, things get a little bit easier, don't they? And, and, and gratitude makes things easier. And so as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about that leg, and I was thinking about this and this church that's struggling. They're struggling, and Paul says, you need to walk. Remember how you used to walk and, and be consistent. You need to walk with stability, and, and you need to walk with, with thankfulness. And I was just thinking of my own life of how, how, do I, how do I increase my walk? You know, how do, how do I... How do I stay focused on my walk? And you know, one of the things I said was, am, am I doing the spiritual exercises each week? And what I mean is, am I spending time in God's Word? Am I praying? And and am I doing that? Am I spending time thinking about God's Word? Am I spending time being obedient? Am I spending time in His Word, fellowshipping with other believers? Am I doing that? Am I doing those things that exercise that that, that are part of the walk? And and, and what, what's one thing that I can do this week to help one of those exercises where I'm failing the most? Like, like what, what can I do? Can I spend an extra five minutes in prayer? Can I spend an extra five minutes? Can I go to church early? Can I call somebody? I don't know. One of the other things I thought, too, was, you know, this walking by faith. One of the questions that I, I said is, uh, there's a lot of areas where I don't necessarily walk by faith. You know, as an American, there's a lot of, we have a lot of insurances, right? There's a lot of things that we can do, and we don't even have to question whether it's by faith. And I go, what area am I not really trusting God in? What, what have I done this past week that wasn't out of faith? And what can I do this next week that I can step out in faith? And then lastly was, how much, how much time, Caleb, have you spent just thanking God for all that he's done? How much time have you done doing that? And I realized, man, it's not as much as it should be. So, may the Lord give us the will and the ability to do all that we do today, and let's walk this way, right? Let's walk the way that Paul tells us. Let's go ahead and let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that are found in your word. We just pray that we would continually seek you, that we would continually walk by faith, that we would realize who we are in Christ, and that we would stand firm in Christ. I thank you for this group of believers, this church family. I thank you for their care for each other, their care for me. I thank you for the relative unity that we've had. And Father, we're just really excited about what you're doing through your word, excited about what you're doing by the power of your spirit, as you're making us more and more like your son. So we just ask that you would give us safety as we go home. Help us think about the things in this text and bring us back tonight ready to honor and serve you. And and, uh, we just thank you for everything you've given us in your son's name. Amen.